Thank you so much, Steve. I um, was thinking as the chorale was singing that song, in 1 Samuel 2, verse 2, Hannah's song of thanksgiving. This is what we read in those first couple of verses. There is no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one besides Thee that is holy, nor is there any rock like our God. The Bible. This book, this book contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. This book and its doctrine is holy. Its precepts are binding. Its histories are true. And its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise. Believe it to be safe and practice it to be holy. Because it contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort, folks, to cheer you. It is the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's charter. Here, in this book, heaven is opened. And the gates of hell are disclosed. Christ is its grand subject our good is its design. And the glory of God is its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, guide the feet. So, we should read it slowly, frequently, And prayerfully. It is a mine of wealth. It is health to the soul and a river of pleasure. That's this book. It is given to you here in this very life, and it will be opened at the judgment, this book. It is established forever. It involves the highest responsibility. It will reward the greatest labor. And it condemns all who trifle with its sacred contents. quite a book. That's why in Psalms 119, verse 11, we read, 
Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against Thee, O God. Psalm 105, Psalm 119, verse 105. Thy word, this book is a lamp unto my feet. The light. A light unto my path. And it gives direction. Well, let's pray to the author of this book, shall we? Our Father, our our hearts are so moved when we we think that You wrote this book for us. That herein, in this book, You want so much to tell us Your heart. And we just oftentimes don't even read it. Father, now as we look into this sacred book, we pray that our hearts would be pure and clean before You. And might we allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us as You will in Christ's name. Take this book, please, and turn to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. Just tell you a little bit about myself. I'm in my 15th year at the Master's College. That is absolutely incredible. Ah, sorry about that. I know, according to Bookman, I can't use that word anymore. I love that word. It is unbelievable that I've been here that long. And um, I tell you what, to some of you younger faculty members and younger staff, you don't really know the joy of being at a place like this unless you've been here a while. The flash in the pan two and three years doesn't quite make it. And those students of you here who have the opportunity to sit under all of this the staff and administration and faculty, I tell you, they are a great bunch of folk. And I wish you could spend more time here than just two, three, four years. Some of you stretch stretch it into five and six, and you're fortunate. But uh, I just want you to know that we love it. I was born and raised in upstate New York, a little town called Marathon, thousand people in the town. More people on this campus than in that town. We all knew everything about everybody. Actually, I didn't live in the town. I lived in the suburbs. And uh, a, little place, a little place called Hunt's Corners. Say that together. Hunt's Corners. Come on. Uh, you know, this many people have never said that town in their life. Hunt's Corners. Hunt's Cor- Yeah, about 50 of us live there. There's about 30 now. It's not growing too much. And... Um, I met my wife there, my wife of um, 23 years, actually, we were childhood sweethearts, went to school together all the way through grade school, junior, senior high. After college, we got married, and the Lord gave us three wonderful children. You know them, you agree, they're wonderful. (laughs) Paul's a senior here, Janelle a junior, and... 
Jason is a junior at Hart High School right across town here. We came out to uh, Tacoma, Washington, where the Lord led us as Minister of Music there for seven and a half years, and then 1979 came to the Master's College. John 21, after these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. Now, after what things, folks? Now, actually, if we look back at John 21, we will see that the Lord had just conquered death, the great resurrection message. And He had proven that fact by appearing to the disciples. And after all of that had happened and had taken place, we actually see the reason why this book was written in chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. And after all of this, Jesus manifested again Himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. Now this is another account. And the Sea of Tiberias, of course the Sea of Galilee, had the opportunity to take a boat ride on the Sea of Galilee in May with about 80 of our Master's College folks here. Beautiful, beautiful body of water. It's the only sweet water lake in Palestine. 13 miles long, 7 miles wide at its widest point, very, very deep, and it is... 630 feet below sea level. If you were to follow the Jordan River from the Sea of Galilee down to the Dead Sea, you would meander around for 200 miles before you'd get there. If you take a straighter route, it'd be about 65 miles. So in Palestine, Sea of Galilee, Jordan River, Dead Sea. Now this is where it happened. Verse 2, there were together Simon, Peter, and Thomas, called Didymus, and Nathanael of Cana in Galilee. Remember Nathanael? He's the, the, the individual in John 1, I think, that said, can any good thing, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? That was Nathanael. And the sons of Zebedee, which uh, were James and John, and two other of his disciples. This is the little band of people here. Simon Peter said to them, Well, I'm going to go fishing. <laughs> that is a statement. Here you have Peter. Been through three years with the Savior. had just witnessed on two accounts the resurrected Christ. After all of that, all of that training, all of that discipleship, well, I'm going fishing. Many commentators would translate to say, I'm going back to my former life. It's all over. It's in the history books. It's done. Finished. Over. You know what, folks? I told you I've been here 15 years. So I have had time to see graduates. 
And there are times my heart breaks because I look at these fine young men and women and I think about all of that training at this college. And I look at their life and you know what they did with the training? They with Peter said in a very real way, it's over. I'm going back. I'm going fishing. Didn't mean an awful lot. What did this mean to this man, Peter? And the challenge is, as we continue reading, all of the disciples said, well, we're going to go with you. There is no decision that you can make that you will not influence others. Absolutely nothing. And we think no one knows, and we think no one cares, and we think this only relates to me, and it relates to a host of people. The decisions you make influence others, and others will follow. Well, so they went out, got into the boat, and, you know, this was a boat... That was about two to three times larger than your typical rowboat. Same type of thing, except it, except bigger and wider. This wasn't um, a part of the Princess Cruise Corporation at all. It wasn't you charter out of Westport, Washington, and uh, no, 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 no. This was just just a very, very simple boat, and they have unearthed one of those first century boats. You actually see what they were like. They went out in the boat and, uh, um, and they, that night they, 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 they didn't catch anything. Nothing. Verse 4. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Him. Got the picture? Beautiful Sea of Galilee. Little fishing boat out there, little band of men out there, and you see this individual on the shore. And Jesus therefore said to them, Children, you do not have any fish, do you? You have the picture? Now, now wait a minute. Now, can't you hear the men talking? Now, wait a minute, guys. Now, we fished all night. I mean, we know how to fish. And um, maybe we ought to tell a little fish story and say, what do you know? You know, who is this guy? How does he know we haven't caught anything? We could say the bottom of the boat is filled. You just don't see it. This this landlubber on the shore, he hasn't been in this boat all night. I I'm I'm drenched, I'm wet, I'm cold. I've got this the smell of the sea all over me. And this landlubber over here says I haven't caught anything. How does he who is that?
Well, they told the truth. They were honest. And their response was, well, no, we haven't caught anything. Verse 6, he said, hey, guys, cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll find a catch. Now, you see, fishing was their occupation. Okay? Now, it kind of bothers me when I am conducting a choir and the local mechanic from Apollo Tire comes over to me and says, Hey, Plu, um, this is how you do it. You know, I mean, I mean, this is what I do. I mean, you do tires, I do songs, you know. I mean, I don't show you how to change those tires. Now, now this landlubber over here is saying, throw the net on the other side of the boat and you're going to find a catch. Now listen, number one, he hadn't been out there all night. We have thrown it on that side, don't you know? We've thrown it all over the place. We can't find any of those fish. You know, and, and, and I'm sure that they were fishing the right way. I'm sure they were fishing on the right side of the boat. And you know, if you're a fisherman, you know, if the sun's here, and the shadow of the boat and yourselves are over here, you don't fish in the shadow of the boat. You don't do that. You fish in the side of the boat where nothing is going to cause problems or cause ripples or shadows or anything like that as, as calm as possible. And so exactly what the Lord said to do was the exact opposite of what was natural. Which those disciples could have very well have said, See, I told you so. He doesn't know anything about it. I'm telling you, folks, the Lord often uses people and situations that are unnatural. That to us, in our little world of thought, doesn't really make sense. But they obeyed again. They were not only honest, they obeyed. And they cast therefore, and then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. All of a sudden, the stock in the landlubber rose. Verse 7, That disciple therefore whom Jesus loved said to Peter, this is John, John said, it's the Lord. It's Him. Here He is again. It's the Lord. And so when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put his outer garment on, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the Sea of Galilee. Well, the other disciples were a little smarter, and they came in the boat. For they were not far from the land, about a hundred yards away, dragging the net full of fish. Now this is 
the last miracle that the Lord did. And so when they got out upon the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. Did you ever wonder where those fish came from? Where did those fish come from? And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have now caught. He didn't need those fish. It's just like the Lord really doesn't need our super talent. All the Lord wants is us. That's all. Just us. Just us. I'm so glad that He uses us. What a wonderful privilege to realize that He wants to use us. What a humbling thought. The King, the Creator of the universe wants to use little old us. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of large fish, verse 11. And, and they counted them. A hundred and fifty-three. And all there there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now, nobody said, nobody asked the Lord, who are you? Nobody dared say that. Verse 13, Jesus came and took the bread, gave it to them, and the fish likewise. You know, that must have been some time. You know, we had the, the privilege to, to eat lunch on that same area that tradition says was the place where the disciples had breakfast. Just a beautiful, beautiful area. <laughs> and it'd be something to have breakfast with the king. What a what a thought. And this is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now actually, it's the fourth time. It's the third time to the disciples, but the first time was to Mary at the tomb. The second time through the disciples and Thomas wasn't present. The third time through the disciples and Thomas was there and the Lord said, put your hand into my side. Put your finger into the nail prints in my hand. Because you see me, you believe. Most will not have that privilege. So it's the third time through the disciples. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, you have the picture now? You have the, the sea experience, the breakfast, the, the sharing together? Peter, come here. Come on over here with me. Got something I want to talk to you a little bit about. Uh, Peter, I, I just have a, a question I want to ask you. Uh, you've been with me three years here, and, and uh, 
we've had our ups and downs and we've really talked a lot together and you're such a fiery guy. You speak your mind, I like that kind of thing. He said, but Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you, do you love me more, more than these? More than fishing? Do you love me more than, than your occupation? Do you love me more than, than, than these other disciples? Am I just one of the gang? I've had a philosophy in life. Probably since I was about um, 15, 16 years old. I think it's scriptural, and a part of it comes right from this passage. The Lord says to us, Do you love me more than anything? We asked Peter. And from that, the most important thing in Plu's life is my relationship with God. Some in substance of the whole thing. Second most important thing in my life is that family that God's given to me. Then, the third thing is that occupation. And that vocation. We, we, just, we just misconstrue that all the time. And that, that's basically what, what the Lord is asking Peter. Do, do you really love me more than this vocation? I mean, Peter... I mean, after all of the time we spent together and then now it's right on the threshold of when I'm ascending to heaven and, and, and here you are fishing again. What is the deal? Well, Peter's response was, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Well, so the Lord responded and said, Well, then, then, then feed these baby sheep over here. Feed these younger lambs. Now, in the, in the New Testament, there are three aspects of love. A couple of times you see the very selfish, self-gratifying kind of love, which is eros, which is more sexual connotation. And then you see the, a second kind of love in the verb form, which is phileo, which is... I, I, it's more of a brotherly kind of love, but I like you a whole lot. You know, you're good people. You know? A third kind is the agapeo kind of love, where it's selfless, sacrificial, giving and not taking. The interesting thing here is the Lord asks, Peter, do you agapeo me? Do, do, do you, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's response was, uh, in the phileo sense, yeah, I like you a whole lot. The Lord says, do you love me, Peter? Yeah, yeah, I like you. I like you said a second time in verse 16, Simon, son of John, 
getting his attention here. Simon, son of John, do you agapao me? Do you love me with that sacrificial love? Peter's response, Lord, maybe the wind's blowing here. Maybe it's kind of blustery out. Maybe they're not as close together as they thought. Maybe, maybe um, some of the some of the the noise of the elements were making so they couldn't hear. Lord, let me just tell you again. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, you knew we had fish out there. Why can't you hear me? Kind of, Lord, I yes, I like you a whole lot. I fill out oh you. Verse 17. Number three. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John. Do you love me? I'd like to take you back to Matthew 26. Matthew 26, and I'm looking at um, verse 30. This is um, after they had eaten together the Last Supper and they finished by singing together. (laughs) I would have loved to have been led by the Lord singing. Incredible time. I mean a wonderful time. Wonderful time. Then Jesus said to them, verse 31, You will all fall away because of me this night, and it is written, I will strike down the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. But Peter answered and said to him, Even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, Peter, son of Jonas, that this very night before the cock crows, you shall deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. All the disciples said the same thing. They all followed his lead again. Let's go toward the end of the chapter. Starting at verse 65, and this, of course, is, is the trial, and, and verse 65, then the high priest tore his robe, saying, He is blasphemed. He has said he's the Son of God. What further need do we have of these witnesses? Behold, you have heard this blasphemy. Verse 67, Then they spat in his face and beat him with their fists. Others slapped him and said, Prophesy to us, you Christ. Who just hit you? They were saying. Now, now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard and a certain servant girl came to him and said, You too were with Jesus the Galilean, weren't you? Verse 70, but he denied it before them all and he said I do not know what you're talking about (laughs) do you understand this do you understand is this indicative of us I mean can we be can we be something on Sunday and something completely different when the church house lets the church people out the door Do we become something completely different in the parking lot? Do we become completely different Monday? 
when you're going to leave this institution, do you become something completely different? Do you come to something different during Thanksgiving break, during Christmas break? Is it a whole new world than what you're experiencing here? I don't understand this man in the sense that so quickly he denied everything that he'd learned. 71, and when he had gone out to the gateway, another servant girl saw him and said, Hey, um, you were there, weren't you, when this man was with Jesus of Galilee? 72, and again he said, with an oath. I solemnly swear I do not know this man. 73. A little later, the bystanders came by and said to Peter, Surely you too are one of them, for the way you talk gives you away. Now that's interesting. Then he began to curse and to sweat. This is Peter, folks. This is... This is a strong Christian, folks. This is one who was close to the king. Do you really think we're beyond that? Do you really think this will never happen to me? Do you really think that, that we are beyond being tempted so much that when we are out in the business world and in our communities that we are not going to have a lot of Peter in us? Are we beyond that? Verse 75, Peter remembered the word which Jesus had said, before a cock crows, you will deny me three times. He heard the cock crow. He wept bitterly. Back to John 21, verse 17. Maybe there's some thought going on between the three-time denial and the three-time Peter, do you love me? Said Simon, son of John. The interesting thing here is the Lord changed how he asked the question. He said, Peter, do you phileo me? Peter, do you even like me? <laughs> you even like me a whole lot. Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you like me a whole lot? And he said to him, Lord, I get it. You know all things. You know that I love you. I'm working on this, this love. I can't even comprehend the kind of love you have for me. The Lord said, Tend my sheep. You see, if you were to continue reading down through this passage, realize that the kind of love that Peter needed it needed was was agapeo kind of love. I mean, the Lord saw his life. And Peter was here, and his life ends over here. The Lord knew that he was going to be crucified. The Lord knew that he was going to be ridiculed and 
and imprisoned. And folks, you can't go through the tough times if you have the kind of love for the mission and the cause of the kingdom if it's, okay, I like it a whole lot. It doesn't work. It will not happen. We will ebb and flow. And the kind of love that the Lord knew Peter needed and the kind of love that I need and that you need is selfishness doesn't make it. Selfless, sacrificial love is the kind of love that we have to be maturing to if we're going to go through life with the Lord. You think about it in your sphere of influence. How many people? How many people have fallen by the wayside? Who you may have set up as a model. Wow, I'd love to be able to preach like that. I'd love to be able to be that kind of an athlete. I would love to be able to be that kind of a parent. And then they fall. Think something about this. I like you a whole lot. Could be a syndrome in some lives. And my question to you, what are you doing in relation to striving for an agapeo kind of love? How much time do we spend in this book that we see as our charter that we know will be opened not only in this life? What are we doing? In Romans, chapter 12, don't turn to it. The New American Standard reads this way, I urge you, brethren, by the very mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. It's often been said, you tell me how the congregation lives in their private life, and I can tell you how their public worship is. The greatest, the highest occupation, according to A.P. Gibbs, the highest occupation we have as Christians is to worship God. Our president, John, makes this comment in his book, The Ultimate Priority is Worship. It's the name of the book. The ultimate aspect of worship that we can give is ourselves. Much of that depends on how much in love we are with the King. How much we're cultivating that 
that striving for godliness. I'd like to encourage you to do something between now and Friday. Spend some time worshiping God. What we do in our churches on Sundays and often what we do here in chapel, it's just a continuation of what we are doing all week. 90% of worship is private. And when we come together, when we come together Friday, we're just going to have one rank of lights on. And um, we're going to have Scripture on the screens for you to look up and, and read and meditate on. I'm very concerned with the fact that when we go to church, we are more concerned about fellowshipping with God than fellowshipping with each other. So when we come in, now you'll forget until you walk through those doors. But when you see the Scripture and you see the lights down, think, oh yeah. See, worship demands a lot of preparation. And according to Isaiah 6, a part of that is confession. There's no way that, there's no way that together any of us want to stand before a holy God with sin in our life. And we realize what we are when we see who He is in His holiness. Now, right now, just take a, a moment, bow your heads. Don't talk to anybody. Don't say a word. Don't drop anything from the bleachers. Just as quiet and as meditative as possible. And talk to God. And, 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 and look into that heart and, and ask yourself, what kind of love is there? Is there any love there? Am I working at this? How am I feeding this love affair between the lover of my soul and me? Do I really want to worship Him? How do I worship Him? When I'm coming to chapel and I go to church, is it just the idea that kind of, I like it a whole lot? Kind of the phileo? Kind of give if it feels good? Worship is giving. Love is giving. Agapeo is sacrificial. Take a few moments to talk to the king. Make sure your heart's clean. We are so humbled. to realize that you want fellowship with us. You want our time. And as anyone who has ever been in love, we realize it's not the things, but it's the time that is important together. Father, may all of us here realize 
just a little more how much you love us. And might we learn the lesson that Peter is teaching us in John 21. That our love demands us. Sacrificially to be given to you as the highest form of spiritual worship. Now, Father, might we honor you today. Might we think about you in every class as we eat, as we're at work. Might the thought that you are in control and you are on our heart and mind, might that be paramount in our lives, Father? Might we be willing to wear the badge? For it's in Christ's name. Amen. Now, folks, before you do anything, this is we're going to make like this is a church house. I have something that's very, very important to me. When I'm in the church house, I want to talk about God. Now, when we're in this building, right here, right in this room, Right now, let's not talk about anything but things that relate to God. Now, when you want to talk about the class or look at your notes for the next time, go out the door. That's fine. That's wonderful. But let's, let's, let's actually leave this place more fellowshipping with God than each other. And if we're talking to God, it's going to be pretty quiet. When you talk to each other, talk about God. And we can talk bo- not boisterously, but sense that we just talk to God. Okay? Agapeo, sacrificial giving. There is no one holy like the Lord. Talk to Him.